Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. Let's get started. How's it going, Dave? It's going well, Joe. How's it going with you? Pretty, pretty good. So we've got a pretty light agenda this week, um, at least as, as far as number of topics go, but I think there's a lot to talk about. Um, mainly just kind of an education update where we both are in coursework or where we are learning Unreal Engine. And then uh, I wanted to talk about kind of how I'm changing what I'm learning based on what I'm working on. And then a little side project that I did this week based on something that I said last week. And then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Anything you want to add to that? I I think we're going to consume more than enough time just talking about that stuff. Yep. All right. So why don't we talk coursework and education in Unreal Engine? Why don't you tell me where you're at since I know I'm ahead of you? Yeah. Uh, last week I had started, I, I got a couple of courses in, a couple of sections in, and started bumping into stability problems with my mm-hmm. Mac, um, at least related to editing geometry and, and things like that. So I went through a couple of backflips and got transitioned back over to my dedicated windows box and, uh, started going through the coursework again. Um, I'm still through like the end of the month. I've got really heavy demands on my time, but Mm -hmm. I'm kind of saying, okay, weekends, weekends are my VR development time. I probably would have spent all of yesterday working on VR stuff if we hadn't gone to a COG meeting. Yeah. So. Which um, is the Central Ohio Game Dev Group, by the way. Absolutely. A a meetup here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, But today I woke up, started Section 2 over again, because I hadn't gotten all the way through it the first time. Okay. And got through Section 2, Section 3, and Section 4. I think so. Yeah. So getting it more heavily into geometry editing and uh, kind of building a room and and setting things up. Mm -hmm. Um, Neat stuff. Gosh, there's a lot in that course. Yeah. Very, very dense. Um, But I love it. I got to give a little review and was like, no, this is totally awesome. This is just what I wanted. But um, I did start to notice that I, I, think if I'm not very careful level design for me could kind of expand to start consuming fractal time. Mm-hmm. Explain this concept of fractal time. I know we've talked about it before, but um, fractal time is it, as you look closer and closer to a fractal, more complexity comes through. Like, it doesn't matter how far you zoom into a fractal. It's still the same level of complexity all the way down. And um, in this case, I think it would be very easy to just kind of sit down and go, okay, let's just keep working on this. And, okay, the room looks good. Now let's make the room look better. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to do that and a lot of different techniques and technologies. And you could just kind of keep making the level better and better and better. And it could kind of become bottomless. Yeah, it could. Um, it could, but it's not, it's definitely not practical to go down that, that rabbit hole because 
at least if you're planning on making a VR game, you need to keep those levels simple. You don't want to use every feature that Unreal Engine gives you for you know super photorealistic rendering and lighting and shadows and reflections. Like trying to throw those into a headset is just going to be ridiculous. Yeah. I know that's not going to stop you from doing it, but it's definitely going to stop me from doing it. <laughs> it probably won't stop me from doing it once. Yeah. Um, I'll have to see how bad it gets before I'm ready to back away. But I think this is another argument for um, visually simplified things. Mm-hmm. Not saying low scale or low res, but um, yeah. building something with a visual style that lends itself to simplification. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely not low quality in any any sense of that meaning. It's more of just scaling things down to what can realistically be rendered with the technology as it stands on as many machines as possible. Right. Like you, you can target a you know a specific GPU threshold or at least put it in the recommendations of you know, you need to have a GTX ten eighty TI or three <laughs> just to run this thing like you can go that route if you want to you you're just not going to have very many customers yeah well i don't have a gt 1080 ti so yet 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 today is not that day no so yeah the that uh, the room setup thing was a lot of fun. I did that part last weekend, I think. And uh, actually, I did it, I think I mentioned last week, I did it two or three times where I just made a room and then deleted it and watched, or I, I made a room and then watched a couple more minutes of the video and realized, oh, there's all, this, all these other things to do. And <laughs> deleted it and started again. And I did that a couple of times until I got more comfortable with the tools. And then um, I actually used what I learned in that and later lectures to make a VR version of, I guess the room I'm calling my office. I I think 70% of my apartment is now office the way that computers have spread out because of the VR setup. Yeah. So you've got, out. you've got kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, and then offices. Yeah. Everything else is offices. Which uh, I should change how much of my rent the business pays if that's going to be the case. <laughs> but uh, the the big room, what used to be my living room, what now is a pile of computers and cables and VR stuff. Um, I mapped that room out in Unreal Engine and made a room that the objects in that room match the size and rough shape of the objects in the actual room. Um, so I can, I have a standing desk that I work at most of the time because I find that the easiest way to work when I'm putting the headset on and off over and over again. Um, so I actually have the standing desk at the same height and the same dimensions inside the headset as outside. And I can just put the headset on and then confidently walk over to the coffee table in VR, which is mapped to an ottoman in my living room and just comfortably sit down without worrying about where I'm going to, if I'm anywhere close to the real object, 
obviously if I do any kind of teleporting at all, I you know I throw off the entire room. But if I just run that level as it is, then everything maps out just where it needs to be. And it was a lot of fun. It took me pretty much all of Thursday. Like it was just a whole day of just playing with level editing tools and finding some assets to use, some of the stuff from the course, some of the stuff from the starter content, a couple things from the uh, asset store, um, making a couple custom materials or just like duplicating materials and you know changing things and finding out what certain nodes do. And then I guess one of the cool things was the... I made the room line up with the room in my apartment, but outside of that room, everything else is completely different. So where I have kind of a small window behind my desk that looks out into a fence with no view whatsoever, in VR, I have a nice big sliding glass door that looks out to a gazebo with a fire pit. and So, you know, I can completely change things around. Um, where I have a neighbor on one side of the room in the real world, in VR, I have a swimming pool. Because why not? <laughs> um, so I, I got to play with this yesterday. And I got to tell you, it's really slick. It's I've been trying to come up with a good way to describe it. And the most descriptive way is not very helpful. But it's kind of like the VR version of AR. Like, mm-hmm. you go into VR and all the stuff that's in your apartment is still there. And so you can reach out and grab things and touch things and or avoid things or dodge things. And you can kind of, as long as you're not teleporting around the room, you can ignore the chaperone. Because you can see all the obstacles in the room, mm-hmm. which is kind of awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. One of the uh, one of the weirdest parts was when I added like a a shelf and turned it on its side so it could be the TV stand in my room. It was the closest asset that I could find. Um, I was, my TV stand is is in a corner at an angle and it's kind of a weird angle, but it was where I needed it to be so that I could watch a bunch of video courses on it while I, I was using the computer. So I couldn't get the asset in the unreal editor. I, it was rotating around a particular point on the object. And I couldn't quite get the angle right. So at one point, I actually moved the physical object to match up with, <laughs> with, with the object in the game. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of pathetic, but it did happen. So now we have the VR equivalent of feng shui. Yeah, pretty much. Like, well, if I can't get this to snap to grid, I'll just change reality to match. <laughs> Either that or the beginning of a really, really complex psychosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and one of one of my intentions for this this little pro- side project is just to have a place for me to try out new things, as I make three D assets in Blender or in other uh, other tools, and I want some place to just import it into Unreal Engine and start making materials or start playing around with stuff. I wanted a place to just kind of keep a library of my work, so. Currently, in the building that I made, there's the the room that maps out to my living room, and then a great big open space for all the junk that I can create later on. And just to have a place, you know, there's some some custom things I'm going to make for the game I'm working on, and I plan to have you know multiple versions of that thing over time. This is kind of a you know a, a visual track of my work, but it would be cool if I can actually make those 
interactive where I could pop the headset on, switch from my office into the VR office, and then teleport over to the other room and pick up one of those things and start working with it. Or even go into the VR room via the editor rather than the preview and actually just start working with content right there. That would be the that that would be the the coolest thing if I could actually just pop into the editor view and sit down on a beanbag chair and start working with an asset. Um, but it's going to take me a while to get used to how the editor tools work in VR. It's kind of confusing, at least at this point. So yeah, that was just a fun side project. It was completely unproductive, but I learned a ton from doing it and kind of learned my way around various parts of the editor that I had I had been to them all before, but spending an entire day just bouncing in between the editor and assets and blueprints and materials and things like that. Um, really, you know, starting to build up some muscle memory of where things are and learning some of the shortcuts, even though I'm trying not to le- to use shortcuts because of some RSI issues, but that's another rant. Um, yeah, it was a fun project. I would recommend to anybody who has a little bit of free time and a Vive or an Oculus to make a copy of the room where that headset is and just to, just to do it because it was a lot of fun. You don't have to... Nothing has to map up exactly. Nothing has to look anything the same. Like, I have a blue couch in real life, but I have a red couch in VR. They're in the same place. That's about all that matters. Um, like my my standing desk in VR is actually just a shelf with no legs or anything. It's just floating because there's not really <laughs> gravity. So now, why not? You did have one other thing that I really liked, which was your area rug. Oh yeah, um, which I think is just a a fascinating little hack for VR play spaces to the point that I'm considering getting one myself. Um, in that you've got a rug that basically takes up the whole center of the room Mm -hmm. and you've defined that as your play space. Mm -hmm. So in bare feet or even in shoes, you can tell when you're stepping out of the play space, even without the chaperone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a big, you know, thick shag carpet, type thing it's like an inch thick so it's really comfortable to stand on and uh it's been there for a couple of months when vr was in the other room and then when i moved out there i just was tracing the the room bounds and i looked at that i'm like well wait a second that's a good shape <laughs> and then it, it actually gives this me nice clean of, rectangle no no obstacles yeah there's no obstacles, and it also gives me a buffer around all sides, where before I was, my play area was going right up to the wall in the mm-hmm. other room. Now I've got about 14 inches on each side. of. Uh, I know when I get to the chaperone, I can go a little bit past it without bashing into the wall or the TV or anything. But yeah, the I guess the nerdy part of that was I also put that rug in the VR version of the room. So you can just look down and see the play space. Yep. Oh, Joe. Awesome. Yeah, what can I say? It was fun. Um, as far as what I'm learning, I spent some most of Monday and Tuesday uh, working through that same course. I worked through the rest of the the architecture 
story arc or section one or section two, whatever it was called. And then I moved on to a pinball game, which was a lot of, you know, a lot of fun just seeing how to build a pinball game in general, let alone an Unreal Engine was just kind of fun. Um, work, sort of working with the custom custom materials there. That's what I actually learned how to do the material stuff for the office experiment. Um, but just learned a ton of tiny little things about the editor and you know, was constantly pausing and looking things up and saving articles for the weekend to read, things like that. Um, and I kept going on that all the way through Monday and Tuesday. And then I noticed around halfway through the pinball series, the lectures started getting really, really fast. And like the, it sounds overly harsh, but I don't think I'm alone in this, judging from the comments. But it seems like teaching stopped and he just went into turbo mode and just started doing stuff as fast as possible. So I'm not sure what changed but it, it got to the point where people were really struggling to keep up with the course, and I just found it frustrating. Like, if, if I have to watch your video and pause every 10 seconds, then this is a waste of time. I can't <laughs> learn like this. So I'd be interested to see what you think when you get there. A lot of people just dropped off the course, I'm guessing, at that point, because there were a lot of comments around that point. I think it was around lecture 25 or 26, where things really started to fall apart. Um. And several of the comments, people were asking him, like, what, what changed? Are you on some kind of deadline? Why aren't you explaining anything? Like, you just, like, what's happening? And, like, yeah, it just kind of, it, it went really weird. Hopefully the rest of the course isn't like that. Maybe it's just a couple of lectures. Um, the one in particular where I really got stuck, I I went through it three times. And the first two times, I'm just trying to work through what's actually happening and get my blueprints working. And the third time, I actually just went through it to count the edit points because I could tell how many times this video had been cut apart and put back together Mm. since it was posted. I'm like, yep, this is a mess. So it was very incoherent. So I just, you know, kind of gave up and uh, decided to, I've spent enough time on courses, um, at least for now, I'll probably go back to it at some point or at least do a speed run through it to pick up some of the big ideas. But I'm to the point now where I've settled on the first project that I want to work on. So I'm kind of using that to structure what I need to learn. It's a lot easier to learn a new thing when I can focus on what to learn rather than try to learn the entire Unreal Engine as a whole. I mean, that that's a bottomless pit. There's so much there. Yeah. There's so many features. There's so much I can do. But, you know, I know I'm working on a stylized VR game. I have pretty simple game mechanics. I actually have a really complex game mechanic and then a really simple world to use that mechanic in. Um, So I'm really focusing on using what I've learned so far in the courses that I've done and then just basically start every day and go until I can't figure out what to do and then stop and look it up just like I did with PHP or just like I did with Swift and basically have Stack Overflow help me make a project. So that's kind of where I am with my education. Um, That doesn't stop me from reading a ton of documentation. Um, I worked through quite a few pages of Unreal's documentation last week, and I really, really like their documentation, especially after working with Apple stuff for a year. Apple sucks at writing documentation. (laughs) It is so impersonal and dry. It's like, 
it's like Siri writes their Swift documentation or something. No, they've but, written Siri to have a sense of humor. If, if you say so. <laughs> but uh, the Unreal stuff, it just, it's just people, just other developers just writing down how the stuff is supposed to work. Like, hey, this is, this is what it does and why we made it. Here's how to use it. It's really plain. It's very down to earth. You can tell it's written by people, not by committee. So yeah, there it is packed full of, you know, how to use certain editors, but also just tons of kind of micro tutorials of like, here's this feature, here's what it's all about. Make a new project, and we'll walk you through these ten steps on how to get it working. Mm, that sounds nice. Yeah, would you? You'll, you'll never see that in an Xcode project. Maybe in some playgrounds, but. Yeah, a lot of the Apple documentation has the, they'll have code snippets. And I can get a lot out of a lot of the code snippets. But getting from code snippet to functional thing that uses that technology is always a slog. Yeah, and most of their code snippets are just function signatures. Like, here's how it's supposed to look when you type it out. But you didn't tell me what it does. I, I was more meaning the places in the documentation where they actually do show you full code. Um, yeah. So like if you look up um, uh, NS table view, you'll get all those function signatures and, and things like that. And sometimes that's enough. Um, but somewhere in the header will be a set of links out to expanded documents that they've written on like populating a table view. Mm-hmm. Um but again, those are almost always relatively short snippets. And there's always a little bit of reading between the lines to connect all the pieces together that you need. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm doing pretty well at it. But it, it, I think it does provide a pretty significant barrier to new users that want to get into it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I worked with PHP for a while over the winter, and the PHP documentation, at least for version 5, was basically, here's the official documentation for the function or the class, and then there's a comment section for the community directly below it of people actually showing how they use it. So you get immediate context. And usually there's you know, 15, 20, 30 comments. Some of them you know, are by other noobs that you should probably not do what they're doing. But a lot of them are, you know, people doing full examples of how to use a certain class or function. So yeah, it's just every community's got their own different way of documenting stuff. And so far, PHP and Unreal have been the easiest to learn from and most useful. FileMaker stuff isn't bad. It's a little dry, but it's clear what everything does. Cool. So... What else do we have to talk about? So we went to a COG meeting yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, good group. Like the folks. There was a great demo. I didn't get the guy's name. No, I've he's demoed before and I forgot his name already. I was kicking myself last night. Um, it was doing a really cool kind of um, post-mortem on trying to set up inverse kinematics for a player avatar in VR. 
so that he could, if, if as the player moved around and crouched and leaned to the side or leaned forward and looked down and things like that, that the body inside the game would do the same thing. Or like as the arms moved around, he couldn't move the arms any place where the elbow would hyperextend in the wrong direction. Um, and just kind of walking through that process. And it was just really interesting seeing the kind of step-by-step stages. And he wasn't showing code in between the things, but more about his mental thought process that went into doing each of those things and how he transitioned to each one. I found it fascinating. Yeah. And I found just the way he presented it really cool too, because he just took a bunch of short videos from each part of the process. It probably took, you know, he showed us maybe three minutes worth of videos that probably took weeks worth of development in between. But, uh, just some really cool stuff. Like he started off like, here's here's when we just used the native library and just got it working. And you can see these terrifying things <laughs> and elbows are going the wrong way. Like just walk through like, you know, in the first one, we identified these 10 issues. And then the next one, we solved two of them. And then we we made another one and then, you know, went through the entire process of, until we got to the point where it's not perfect, but it's usable. It's believable. It's useful. Uh, it was just a really fun demo and it was just cool seeing that use of just capturing using image capture recording the vibe input as somebody's playing and really you know capturing their movements capturing what they're looking at it was just a cool way of of doing that rather than try to do that live in 10 different versions yeah yeah no it it was a fantastic presentation um it was longer than most of the ones that people do at a cog meeting and I would have been fine with it going another 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> like it just we we could have had that conversation for a while. It was some neat stuff. So I was really yeah. impressed. So where do you stand on avatars and VR? Is that something that you care about or don't care about? Have any opinions about? Um, I'm going to need to do some of it for a couple of the game ideas that I've got. Okay. At least for arm animation. Like, I don't know if there'll, if there'll be a head that's visible from outside. I'm not really getting into network stuff. So there shouldn't really be anybody else looking at you in the game. Mm-hmm. But I really do want to be able to put hands and arms out front. And it's actually a couple of different ideas, but I want to be able to do that and see what's happening there. And so I'm going to need those things to map relatively closely as close as we can through guessing where your arms actually are based upon the position of your hands and the position of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to have to do some for at least a couple of the ideas that I've got. Okay. Yeah. The first, first game I'm working on is abstract enough. I don't need to worry about mapping anything in the game to human anatomy. Um, and that'll become clear over time as I talk more and more about the game. But uh, I can see just the the concept of having avatars in VR is compelling if we can get past the point where it's super weird. <laughs> um, like the Steam VR, the home thing that's in beta, you've got basically a head and hands that are just floating disconnected from the head. And 
you know, I played with it and set up, you know, put a little top hat on and a monocle and went around. And then I, I made my way into some public area where there were other people playing. And I was terrified of the other people because <laughs> like, what is that? Go away. And I immediately went back to the dashboard. Like, yeah, this, I don't, I don't, I don't want these avatars. I want avatars, but not these. These are freaky. But yeah, I would love to get to the point where we, you know, the same way that you have a, a Twitter handle is you have an identifiable avatar. Yeah, um, in the it game be- Twiver, Quiver, they basically mm-hmm. gave you a, a floating torso <laughs> with disembodied hands. Which actually for the game works. I, I think that part of the difficulty is that you've got the uncanny valley to deal with on a massive scale. Yeah. And so the closer you try and get to making it look and act like a person, the worse people are going to feel about it. Um, yeah. I don't even think it needs to be people like I'd rather mm-hmm. be some weird alien shape or a giant cat. Mmm, giant cat. Yeah. That could be fun, too. Yeah. Speaking of uh, fun, I have a, uh, if we have time, I have a bad game idea. Yeah? Basically a a collecting style game where you are a crazy cat person. The entire game is played in your home because you would never go outside. And you just keep collecting cats. And I'm not sure we have to talk through the mechanics, but basically a cat shows up. You've got so much time to either, you know, give it the love and attention that it needs or it starts destroying stuff and leaves and you never see it again. (laughs) Or but if you, you know, if you give it the love and attention that it craves and it sticks around and becomes your cat, but they never leave at that point. And then you get to the point where you have too many cats in the house and you need to. Maybe there's some kind of problem solving that needs to go along with that. Hmm. Yeah, you need like post game stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it would be fascinating to have like fifteen hundred animated cats crawling through the apartment. Yeah. Maybe you could just scale them down in size, at, at certain numbers. Like, oh, there are now five hundred cats. Let's decrease their size by ten percent. I, I think it's going to be more fun to have them just all over each other. I mean, collision tracking is going to be complicated, but a particle emitter of cats, <laughs> <laughs> the cat particle. <laughs> oh, that might have to be the title. <laughs> the cat particle. I had such high hopes for fractal time, but <laughs> cat particle. It's this physics particle that they're having trouble capturing because it doesn't care what you do in your tests. Um, And it acts almost entirely randomly, except for the parts where it seems to act like it hates you. Yeah. The anthropomorphic particle. Yeah, now I just want to go make a fire hose that sprays cats. (laughs) (laughs) I think I see another side project coming this week. (laughs) 
Well, I, I don't think any of them are lost time if you're learning the quantity of stuff that you do by doing one of those projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could probably do half a dozen little throwaway things just for the the experience of making them mm-hmm. and bringing them to life. Yeah, I always do that kind of stuff in, in other platforms anyway, so I'll definitely do it here. And this is definitely more fun because it stops being work, especially when it's just visual stuff. If I'm just making a level and I don't have to worry about writing any code, it just becomes a, you know, throw some podcast on or an audio book and just zone out for a while. It doesn't feel like work at all. We're opposed to, you know, having a an idea that I want to make in FileMaker. It's like, well, I guess I need to actually write out what this needs to do and start creating tables and fields and relationships and writing scripts and writing functions. Like, that's a lot more work yeah. than just throwing walls together on a house and carving out a swimming pool. <laughs> and spraying cats all over the walls. <laughs> a swimming pool of cats. <laughs> oh, gosh. With with a little fountain. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this can go badly. I I don't if you push that far enough, you can sell it. I mean like a like a ninety nine cent experience. I'll I'll just sell it in the asset store. Like the, the cat <laughs> particle emitter. <laughs> I'm sure you know, let other developers let let them do stuff with it and see what what people can come up with. So many game jams it ends up in. But anyway, that was the that was the bad game idea for the record. <laughs> not not gonna do that. So I have another potential segment. I haven't talked to you about this before, but it's a segment that we could pop in from time to time. Um and it's called Do You Know What Really Deletes My Semicolon? Basically a little segment where I can rant about something. Okay. That uh, it deletes my semicolon. It breaks It breaks everything. It frustrates me. I, I think I love this. You should go for it. Okay. This this one in particular is, is my own fault because I'm reading so many blogs and listening to so many podcasts about VR that at least twice a week I hear or read somebody say when talking about VR in general that we are so close to the holodeck. and that drives me nuts because the holodeck created matter from energy in a big room we are not anywhere near the holodeck we are putting screens on our faces which is really fun and obviously i'm gonna i'm gonna do everything i can to make a living putting screens on people's faces but i am not creating matter out of energy yet so we're nowhere near the holodeck. Not even close. I even spent more time than I care to admit on Wikipedia reading about the technology behind the holodeck <laughs> just to confirm that VR in its current form is nothing like the holodeck in Star Trek. Anyway, that's my rant for today. That was actually a very short rant, Joe. I just needed to get it out there. Okay. I I'm not, I'm not going to go full Syracuse on it, but awesome. Does anything delete your semicolon? Oh gosh, so many things. <laughs> uh, but it's 
it's really not VR focused. No. Yeah, it was more day job stuff. I had my long and circuitous attempt to upgrade my Swift code base to Swift 3.0 and proceeded to chase bugs around the system. Mm-hmm. And someday I'm going to have to do it. Um, there's an excellent chance that what I'm going to have to do is redo my interface. Oh, fun. Not, not as in like ground up, recode the thing, but as in making a new blank screen, adding objects to it and getting the, the text to display on each of them Mm -hmm. in the appropriate places all over again, because something that works perfectly fine in Swift 2.0 completely doesn't work at all. Once you migrate to Swift 3.0, like the, the 10.12 APIs are, are noticing a problem that the 10.11 APIs smilingly walk right over. Hmm. And I'm not suggesting that it's not actually a problem. I'm just suggesting that I can't find what's causing it. Yeah. And the uh, error messages are not very good. So who knows? Maybe one of these days I'll, I'll convert all the way to Swift 4.0. And maybe that'll fix it. Maybe wait until this fall and see. I think it is worth mentioning that in our first episode, we were very enthusiastic about being able to develop for VR on the Mac. And obviously a week later, that dream died, at least for me, as I got rid of the Mac that I got just for that purpose. And then uh, it sounds like you've moved from your main workstation, which is an iMac, to doing VR stuff on a Windows box. So I think it is worth mentioning that these tools are just not quite ready on the Mac side, at least from what I had hoped that they would be. Well, I mean, the the VR tools in general are one thing, but... I'm not yet to the point where I'm going to say that the that Unreal Engine has a Mac problem because my Mac is a problem Mac. Mm-hmm. Like I've had tons of kernel panic issues with this thing. It's been pretty stable recently, but all I need is Unreal Engine to be tweaking whatever the thing is that causes the failure. Um, if I get to the point where it's a nice, consistent you know, I can do this every time in five moves. It'll be a great thing to take into the Apple store. But like, I know of people who write games in Unreal Engine on the Mac. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily yeah. VR games, but they're making games on the Mac using Unreal Engine. Like, it, it works for other people. Yeah, I'm not saying... Anything about Unreal Engine in this case, yeah. I'm talking about developing on the Mac for VR. Unreal Engine doesn't have any official support for VR on the Mac right now. That doesn't exist. That's coming this fall. Right. So there's, there's nothing for me to be mad at, at at that not working. Everything that I had that was not working was in Apple's software layer, in the OS, and the way that they're apparently just blocking. It, it appears to me they're going out of their way to block eGPUs in boot camp, things like that. Um, but I know people are getting it to work 
in small doses and hopefully it'll resolve itself over time. But I'm settling into my Windows environments pretty well to the point where I now have two offices, one for the Mac and one for the Windows <laughs> stuff and the VR stuff. And I I come in this room to do a podcast and uh, you know write a couple of things each week and then uh, spend the rest of the time on the Windows machine. Yeah. Did you see the uh, slick AR video that somebody did, I think, off of an iPhone where they made a door to another dimension appear in the middle of a street? Yeah. And they walked through it and turned around and looked back through that door into the street. Yes. It looked amazing. That was pretty awesome. I wonder... I do have the occasional self-doubt of like, as all this AR stuff is taking off really quickly because of AR kit and I'm sitting here in VR. I'm like, am am I, am I chasing the wrong trend here? But I just, I have that thought, but then I, I think about AR for a couple of hours and I'm like, I don't have any ideas here. I don't have anything to add at this point. And I do have something that I want to build in VR. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Yeah. I'm still of the opinion that at this point, while we're learning, it almost doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once you're, once you're building your actual product, then it matters. But right now the tool set is going to be the same pretty much no matter what we want to do. So learning that mm-hmm. tool set is not lost time, no matter what. Yeah. Cause yeah. And, and definitely if I, if, if, and when I do get into any kind of AR development, I don't want to just drop down to Apple's AR kit and Swift necessarily. I'd probably just want to stick with unreal engine and use their tools to deploy on Apple devices. Yep. It's kind of like you told me a couple months ago, like once you, leave a proprietary platform and go to a multi-platform environment. It's really hard to go back the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Last week I started to settle in on my first game idea and I spent the week doing a lot of education stuff and then just doing some noodling, made some projects and tried a couple of different templates and started making some stuff and just trying out different things and uh i'm at the point now where i have i I spent a better part of the weekend just writing out documentation for the project that i'm going to work on you know writing out my goals for it what what the gameplay should be like what kind of assets i think i'm going to need um and then just writing out some goals for what i want to what do I want to accomplish? And I wrote some pretty unrealistic goals on purpose. Um, you know, heavily caveated that these are probably unachievable, but they're, it's nice to have some kind of artificial deadlines to work towards. So some of those are even, I want to be able to have something, even if it's really, really stupid, I want to have something to be able to present at the next COG prototype and play, which is about two weeks away. Wow, okay, yeah. Even if that's just put the headset on and walk up to to the objects and destroy them. Like, even if it's that simple. Mm -hmm. I just want to have something to show another human being. 
Um, and then aside from that, I would like to have a working, a semi-working prototype and see if I can present at the next COG meeting, which is about a month away. And then uh, some longer-term stuff after that, po- possibly even trying to get something done this summer and in the Steam store early fall. I'm not sure if that's realistic. I think it is for the the size of the game that I'm looking at building, even if it, if it's something I just release on my own and like, hey, go download it, it's free, just so people can see it. Or if it's something I put in Steam, I haven't decided on any of that stuff yet. But that's all the the fuzzy, unrealistic goals that I'm not going to beat myself up if I miss every one of them. But mm-hmm. it's just you know something to work towards. As far as the game itself and what I'm going to do this week, I was actually writing a blog post right before the call um, explaining what I'm going to do without going into too much details. And I'm actually just going to be kind of cryptic about it for a while. Um, I'm someone who, when I talk about an idea too much up front, the idea kind of, I I lose interest in it too quickly if I spend too much time talking about it. So I'm keeping most of it to myself. But that's not going to stop me from writing about and talking about what I'm learning on each step. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm just going to, over the next week or so, just cryptically post what I'm working on and see if anybody pieces together what I'm actually making <laughs> um, and just dropping some subtle hints and even the project name has kind of a built in hint and you'll see that if you uh, see my Twitter feed tomorrow but yeah this week as far as what I'm actually going to build I'm going to start with a cityscape so I'm just going to make a new project or work with one of the projects I've already started. I'll probably just start over again because I like a clean slate. Um, and I'm just going to make a big ground, a big ground floor, uh, a really big area, and then start using geometry tools to make a bunch of big buildings and small buildings and medium buildings and just really dumb blocky things, like really big mm-hmm. rectangles and things like that. Nothing fancy, no static meshes at this point, just get a sense of scale for how how big or small I want certain parts of the game and the environment. And I'll just use the built-in teleporting stuff for locomotion for right now. Um, and then I just want to get to the point where I can have one of the controllers take on a certain skeletal mesh that is kind of the MacGuffin for the game. And I want to be able to have a, a basic version of that and I can walk up and pick up an object and bring it towards me and just have have it destroyed at that point, taken out of the level. Um, so that's pretty much what I'm planning on working on this week. I want, I want to make some basic materials to work with just to get somewhat of the aesthetic working, but just a really rough draft version of it. And just want to get a place where I can go in VR and start working out, have enough of the environment built up so that I can actually start working on the game mechanics in a way that makes sense rather than working at it in an abstract way. So, yeah, we'll see a week from now how far I get in that. It may be I may spend the entire week just on the floor. I, I have no idea how to estimate time for this type of stuff, so I'm really not even trying. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Awesome, I can't wait. So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. 
You can find us on Twitter. I'm at VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm at VRHermit underscore Joe. Uh, we also have a website, VRHermits.com. If you could, like us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or your podcast player of choice.